Welcome to the Plot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Death Steps Magazine. The Plot is a co-production of Death Steps Magazine and the When It Was Cool Network. On our last show, we did a review of the new film loosely based on the lives of the Von Erich families, The Iron Claw, and so that got me kind of going down a rabbit hole of watching a lot of biographies, so I figured I was going to do something like that for the next episode of the podcast, but I couldn't really figure out why. And as I was scrolling through some sites trying to figure out what to do, I stumbled upon a film that I remember really liking as a teenager, and so I figured why not take a look at it, especially since I don't think I had ever seen the revised director's cut version, and that is the award-winning film based on the play of the same name, The Life of Mozart, Amadeus. In 1979, British playwright Peter Schaffer, who had written Equus, among other things, wrote Amadeus, which was a fictionalized account of the relationship between Mozart and Italian composer Antonio Salieri, who was the court composer for the Emperor Franz Joseph in Vienna. Basically, Salieri becomes jealous of Mozart, especially once he realizes uh, what a horrible person Mozart is and and why has God given such talent to a buffoon and a, all sorts of other play. So he plans on, he plots to kill him. Um, whether or not he did is still a historical dispute. Most historians now believe that Mozart probably died of a staph infection that he acquired while he was traveling through Italy and not Salieri. So the, the play is full of music between both uh, Mozart and Salieri. The original London cast was uh, Paul Schofield as Salieri, Simon Callow as Mozart, Felicity Kendall as Mozart's wife, Constance. And then a bunch of other well-known, although probably not to the general public, British uh, actors and actresses filling out the cast. It won a bunch of awards, and then in 1981, it moved to New York, where it won a Tony for Best Playing, among other things. Um, it had sat various uh, famous people playing both roles over time there was when they play when the play was on broadway it was a how's this for an all-star cast we mentioned that it won best play 
Um, Ian McKellen played Salieri. Tim Curry, of all people, played Mozart. And Jane Seymour played Constance Waver. So it won seven Tony Awards, both Best Actor for McKellen and Curry, Best Director for Peter Hall, Best Play, Best Costume Design, Best Lighting, and Best Set. So you can see why this was uh, such an easy target to be adapted into film. There's been a bunch of other versions uh, famously done over the years. In the late 90s, Peter Schaffer rewrote some of the play and performed it again with Peter Suchet, who you may remember as playing Hercule Poirot on television as Salieri. Some of these performances you can find online. There's a BBC uh, did an audio version of the play that was directed by Peter Hall and starred the original cast. You can also see some clips of David Suchet playing uh, Salieri online, too. We're going to now get to the film. So the film was directed by Milos Forman, who had done a lot of well-known films earlier, including winning a bunch of awards for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So this, so the film has F. Murray Abraham. enough, one of the people who was up to play Mozart was, of all people, Mark Hamill. But Peter Schiffer decided, for amongst other reasons, that people would be unable to suspend their disbelief of seeing Luke Skywalker play Mozart. And of course, it's funny that a few years later, Mark Hamill would replace Tim Curry as the voice of the Joker on the Batman animated series. So who are some of the other people who are in the film? In addition to F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse, there's Elizabeth Barrage as Constance, who people probably don't really remember. Earl Doltries as Mozart's father, Leopold. Simon Callow, who we mentioned had played Mozart on... The London stage here playing Emmanuel Shikander, who was one of the people who later financed Mozart's plays in Italy. Christine Ebersol, who you may remember from the 80s versions of Saturday Night Live and also had a couple sitcoms in the mid-80s in the United States, plays Katarina Cavallari, who is one of the muses who... Salieri in the film kind of lusts after, but kind of throws her away after she becomes enamored with Mozart. Jeffrey Jones as Emperor Franz Joseph II. Um, Jeffrey Jones has kind of been scandalized in the last few years due to being a sex offender, but he's really, really good in this film as Emperor Franz Joseph. And of course, this was a few years before he would become probably most famous as Ed Rooney in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, then make a bunch of films for Tim Burton, including Beetlejuice and Ed Wood, and then also starred on Deadwood. One of the people 
who apparently is only in the director's cut, which I didn't remember. It's I did not see Amadeus probably in the last 25 years, so I never saw the director's cut that I can recall. I saw the film a bunch of times when it came out in the 80s. It was one of the films we had on VHS back when I was a teenager. So one of the people who is in the director's cut is... Kenneth McMillan, who is one of those veteran character actors people may remember. Uh, he was in Dune and then had a bunch of American television work. Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2 and was in Time Bandits, um, is in the vaudeville parody version of Don Giovanni. He plays the parody commendatore. There's a bunch of other people you can go scroll through the list whose names you may or may not recognize. An interesting person is Richard Frank, who I honestly don't remember, but he plays the priest who is hearing Salieri's confession. If you did not know any better, you'd swear it was Paul Rudd. But of course, this movie is made in, 1980, in the mid-1980s, so Paul Rudd would have been maybe a teenager. And then you scroll down the list, there's a bunch of people who you may or may not know. Um, Vincent Chiavelli, who is one of my favorite all-time character actors, who worked with Milos Foreman in Cuckoo's Nest, um, plays one of Salieri's servants at the beginning of the film before he tries to commit suicide. You may know him from being in Buckaroo Banzai, as uh, I relate all people who were in Buckaroo Banzai to that film. He was also once married to Alice Ghostly, who was on Moonlighting. The most odd person in this entire cast, only because of how young she was, is Sex in the City's Cynthia Nixon, who was maybe a teenager when she made this film. She plays the maid that Solieri hires to go to work for the Mozarts and spy on them. Um, you may not recognize her unless you know it's her, and then when you see her, you'd go, oh yeah, that is, that's a really young Cynthia Nixon. One of the things that we mentioned in the Iron Claw review was the historical inaccuracies in the film, and so you may be wondering, how historically accurate is Amadeus? And the answer is, uh, some, but not very. It was criticized, the play and the film were criticized for some of the historical accuracies, mainly, you know, whether or not Salieri did or did not kill Mozart. But even the rivalry between the two, uh, there are some who said that Salieri did not hate Mozart nearly as badly as he is depicted in this film. And another thing is that Salieri was not as sort of somber and pious as F. Murray Abraham plays him in the film. Uh, you know, he was married and had a bunch of kids, not this sort of very driven, somber, wearing black, scowling all the time kind of guy. But enough about me. Let's play some clips. The first one is... Salieri sneaking into a masquerade party that Mozart is at being very debaucherous and soon his incredible skills and ear for music are put on display. You can play our little tune in the manner of you have 
loaf. Boring. Another. Bendel. I don't like him. Another one. Play Salieri. Now that is a challenge. That is a challenge. Please. Please. Mozart laughing, Father. That was God. That was God laughing at me through that through that obscene giggle. <laughs> Go on, Signore, laugh, laugh. Show my mediocrity for all to see. One day I will laugh at you. Before I leave this earth. I will laugh at you. <laughs> One of the things you couldn't actually see there because it's an audio clip was first, um, when they say turn him over, Mozart plays the Bach while being held upside down. So he's actually being held by a bunch of people uh, lying down and he puts his arms crisscross over the back of his head and plays the music without seeing it. Uh, the person who shouts out play Salieri was actually Salieri wearing a mask. Uh, we also could not see that when he's playing Salieri, he makes sort of an ape-like face, I guess, uh, showing his disdain for Salieri's music. And yes, that was indeed Mozart farting at Salieri's general direction after he finished playing the music. So here are some clips involving the part of the film involving Mozart writing The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, he's writing it in secret, and he won't tell anyone what it is. And Salieri has the maid that we mentioned earlier, played by Cynthia Nixon, um, spying. And one time, Mozart goes out to perform a public concert, and while he's gone, she lets Salieri into their flat and he figures out that Mozart is writing an opera based on the marriage of Figaro. The complication being that the emperor has banned the play in the empire due to it stirring up trouble between the noblemen and the peasant classes. He, he tells Mozart this at one point and mentioned how his very own sister Antoinette is having trouble with the peasants in France, and we all know how that turned out. So, they decide to let Mozart go ahead and do the play, but one of the things that he is told is there can't be any ballet in the play because the emperor has banned ballet in opera. Uh, Mozart goes to Salieri to see if he can exert any influence on the emperor to change his mind, Salieri being the court composer, and he tells Mozart that he will do what he can to help 
plead his case, when of course he really isn't. And then something funny happens after that. I don't need to tell you, I said. Nothing, whatever, to the Emperor. I went to the theater ready to tell Mozart or something, anything. When suddenly, in the middle of the third act, to my astonishment, the Emperor, who never attended rehearsals, suddenly appeared. What is this? I don't understand. Is it modern? Majesty, the uh, head directory, he has removed Unabaletto that would have occurred at this uh, place. Why? It is your regulation, sir. No ballet in your opera. Salieri. You like this? of liking, Magister. Your own law decrees it, I'm afraid. Well, look at them. No, no, no. This is nonsense. Let me see the scene with the music. But, sir, oblige me. Yes, Magister. Can we see the scene with the music back? Certainly. Certainly, Herr Director. see in the audio clip as you might imagine were people shuffling around on stage uh, ballet dancing without music which is incredibly silly as it sounds and then at the end when we hear the music we cut to them instead of performing their rehearsal with the music we cut to the opening night of the play with Mozart directing from the pit and then that's going to lead us to our last clip, which is the Emperor's reaction to the Major Figaro after the play was over. Well, Herr Mozart, a good effort. Oh, well, decidedly that. An excellent effort. You have shown us something quite new tonight. It is new. It is, isn't it, sire? Yes, indeed. So, then you liked it. You, you really liked it, sire. Well, of course I did. It's very good. Uh, of course, now and then, just, just, just now and then, it, it, it seemed a touch... Um... What do you mean, sire? Well, I mean, uh, occasionally it seems to have... Um... Oh, how should one say? Um... How shall one say, director? Too many notes, Your Majesty. Exactly. Very well put. Too many notes. 
I don't understand. There are just as many notes, Majesty, as are required, neither more nor less. Well, my dear fellow, there, there are, in fact, only so many notes the ear can hear in the course of an evening. I think I'm right in saying that, aren't I, court composer? Yes. Yes. On the whole, yes, Majesty. This is absurd. My dear young man, don't take it too hard. Your work is ingenious. It's quality work. And there are simply too many notes. That's all. Just cut a few and it'll be perfect. Which few did you have in mind, Majesty? What we did not play in that clip is that earlier in the film when Emperor Franz Joseph wants to bring Mozart to Vienna from Salzburg, saying he's heard a lot of things about this young composer, uh, some of his uh, aides poo-poo him and one of them says that he is full of himself and he uses too many notes. So that gag is a callback to earlier in the film. Those are some of the lighter clips. The film starts to get dark a little after this when Mozart's father passes away. And in Mozart's grief over that, he writes Don Giovanni, which gives Salieri the idea to start work Mozart to death, basically, by anonymously getting him to write a death mask. Uh, he shows up at Mozart's house in all black, wearing this two-sided mask, it looks very much like both the way Mozart's father dressed and the character, the ghost in Don Giovanni. Salieri's plan is to not only work Mozart to death, but secretly, after he dies, he's going to steal this death mask that Mozart has written for himself and play it at Mozart's funeral and take all the credit. Which ended up not happening because, although he's helping Mozart write it, right before Mozart dies... Uh, his wife shows she his wife had left, and she shows back up only to find him dead. And Salieri in the spare bedroom where they had been working, and then instead of Salieri taking the music, she locks it up in a cabinet, presumably meaning that no one ever got to hear what Mozart had composed, at least not contemporaneously. We don't ever find that out, I don't believe. But so, yes, Mozart dies. Uh, we also see him composing the magic flute. Um, we don't see any of the stuff in either his personal life or from the magic flute involving the Freemason stuff that's never touched on in the film. Uh, Mozart is buried, uh, we see in the film, at a common grave, which is not completely accurate. And then the film ends with uh, Salieri laughing at the priest who had come to hear his confession and then him being led through the asylum where he's being kept after his suicide basically blessing all of the uh, indigent people in this insane asylum, people locked in cages and chained up and the insane and the infirmed and the freaks and what have you and that's how it ends, what a happy movie what a great movie. Well-deserving of the litany of Oscars that it won. And not only that, of course, you know, it inspired people to... There's a brief popularity in Mozart's music in the mid-80s, which led to one of the more improbable pop songs 
of the 1980s. We've already teased it uh, at the beginning of the film, but yes, now we're going to talk about Falco. 1756, Salzburg, January 27th, Wolfgang Amadeus is born. 1761, at the age of five, Amadeus begins composing. 1773, he writes his first piano concerto. 1782, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart marries Constance Weber. 1784, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart becomes a Freemason. 1791, Mozart composes the magic flute. On December 5th of that same year, Mozart dies. 1985, Austrian rock singer Falco records. Ah, Falco. He wasn't a one-hit wonder because he did have at least one other hit. But spiritually, he probably is a one-hit wonder in the 1980s, if you ask people. So let's briefly talk about Rock Me Amadeus. The song came from Falco's third studio album, creatively entitled Falco 3, which is from 1985, so coming right on the heels of Amadeus. And while we say it was a one-hit wonder, you won't believe how successful it actually was. The other funny thing is, I don't know how many songs have so many different versions. If you look at Wikipedia, there are 21 different versions between English versions, original versions, uh, radio edits, dance club remixes, the like remakes uh, years later. And then uh, the clip that we played just now is from what was called the Salieri Mix, which was basically that English voiceover narration done by a producer of his named Rick McCullough giving those facts about Mozart. The actual... Rock Me Amadeus music video, at least the one that was played here in the United States on MTV, is the one that is basically him singing in German, as opposed to the Salieri mix, which is just mainly those that English dialogue giving Mozart's biography and a lot of sampling. Uh, the video, which you may remember, was Falco dressed in dressed as Mozart with the multicolored powdered wig, going through places like a bar and meeting motorcycle gangs and things like that. So, which ends in a big fight at the end. And when I say it was a phenomenon, I'm not kidding. Here are some of the chart placements that it had around the world, either in 1985 or in 1986. Austria, number one, no surprise. Canada, top singles, number one. Ireland, number one. New Zealand, number one. South Africa, number one. Spain, number one. Sweden, number one. Switzerland, number two. The UK singles chart, number one. The mother of them all. The U.S. Billboard Top 100, number one. The U.S. Dance Club Billboard chart, number four. The U.S. Hot Black Singles chart, number six. 
West Germany, obviously, number one. Australia, gold. Canada, platinum. Germany, gold. New Zealand, gold. UK, gold. Platinum, gold. And for the United States, platinum at that time meant 2 million sales. One hit wonder, but boy, what a one hit wonder it was. Falco didn't have the only rock video featuring Mozart at this time. Orion Pictures, who released the film, actually cut a music video using footage from the movie interspersed with clips of famous rock and rollers like the Beatles and Elton John and Bruce Springsteen and Madonna and Michael Jackson and a billion other people. You know, juxtaposing scenes from the film with their acts, like there's a scene with when the guy is flying in Don Giovanni, it cuts to the fly with Rico Kasich's face from the Cars video and things like that. And the music video begins with David Lee Roth pretending to be a music conductor. And we should also mention, not only did Falco strike gold literally and figuratively with Rock Me Amadeus, but the Amadeus soundtrack was successful too. So much so that they actually released a second soundtrack album called More Music from the Original Soundtrack of the Film Amadeus. That contain I mean, it's Mozart. You know, you could make up, you know, 30 albums with all of his stuff in there. But so... Some of the stuff that got left out of the original soundtrack was added, and there was also some Salieri pieces in the second soundtrack. And then in 2002, when Milos Forman released the director's cut of the film, there was also a new special edition director's cut, newly remastered original soundtrack record that was released. So even, you know, 15 years later, it was still successful. Apparently there's also was a production, um, there was going to be a TV version based on the play that uh, never actually, that hasn't come out, I should say, at this point. I guess it's always still possible that it could, could come out in the future, but it hasn't shown up yet. So that's our look at the biopic of Mozart, Amadeus. I would say it's still one of the best films of the 80s. I know a lot of the big award-winning 80s biographies, I think, have not necessarily held up the test of time. I've heard people say that, you know, Gandhi really uh, doesn't hold up Years later, probably due to, you know, cultural shifting and things like that. And some of the other, you know, big 80s sweeping things that were so big at the time. But Amadeus is still a really great movie. F. Murray Abraham's performance is still amazing. I'd have to look at the list from, you know, the 1980s to see who all won Best Actor. I mean, obviously De Niro won a couple times. In there, I would certainly rank this portrayal by F. Murray Abraham as Salieri up there with, you know, De Niro playing Rupert Pupkin or Jake LaMotta or some of the other Paul Newman, Paul Newman in, in Justice for All, some of the other great achievements in acting in the 1980s. So, thanks for listening. 
it is possible we are still working on this. There may be a new comics-themed review podcast coming out in the future. We're still working on the details about whether we're going to do it or not, so I don't want to say what the book is going to be. One of our other podcast goals for the new year is trying to get some of the people that I've had on my guest bucket list ever since the pod began almost a decade ago to finally try and get them on the show. There is one person who has tentatively agreed to do the pod sometime in the future that I have wanted to have on for a really, really long time and will be very amazing if it actually comes off. I don't want to jinx it. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.